everybody. What a gift to be with you, to see with you, to see you, to sing with you. Uh, even masked, as uh, Scott was mentioning, this is uh, less than perfect, less than ideal, but we're inching our way towards a little bit more normal all the time. Um, thank you to the musicians. And uh, Jenny, I love when you, maybe she just got out of the room, but I love when you roll with um, just, you know, the moments that happen. And you know how sometimes like when recorded worship songs, there's little spontaneous things that get picked up by churches and just added to every time they sing? So I was envisioning when you said, whoa, like campfires everywhere, people singing Jesus be the center and kind of going, Jesus, whoa, jeez. <laughs> That's where my mind went this morning when that happens. So you're welcome. Good morning again, lovelies. Uh, my name is Nelson, one of the pastors here. Uh, it, it is a gift to be with you. And uh, actually just to be here, just to be, to be a bit less alone in our spiritual nurture. It's a new season in our shared life. Uh, for many, a lot of things are restarting. School rhythms, uh, family rhythms, church rhythms, lots of newness. And it's also a continuation of things. In many instances, these new rhythms still take a much different form than we're used to or would choose. Uh, a lot of us are still in between. We're inhabiting multi-layered liminal spaces, many of them messy ones. We're between jobs or in new jobs. We're between homes. We're between relationships. We're between schools, between churches. Some are in the crucible of deconstruction. Some are still very much in, the, in recovery from pain and loss of many, many kinds. And some are in a celebrative, anticipatory, kind of hopeful place. We attempted to name some of this in-betweenness and the ways that God meets us there in our August series that we just called The Spaces We Need. So if you're new here, if you missed that, you can still catch up via the podcast if you'd like. Today, I just want to say, uh, whoever you are and however you've come, whatever you're feeling caught between, uh, you are welcome here. There's room for all of it. So beneath all of what might be happening to us individually or as smaller communities, it's also a moment we're asking really big existential questions. We're trying to come to terms with all that's happening from a global standpoint. And that's a basic human need, right? In chaotic times, we're, we're disillusionment may well be the defining story of the moment we're in. We need stories. We need stories that give shape and meaning to what we're going through. How do we make sense of what's happening? And what's happening to us in the midst of it? One story or a collection of stories that offer some grounding and some perspective are those that we find in scripture. So in the scriptures, we encounter a whole bunch of ancient stories where chaos and disorder and disillusionment are very present. Right from the Bible's opening pages, we see it. Genesis 1, the earth itself was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Another translation says the earth was a formless void. Eugene, in the message, says, Earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, an inky blackness. Ancient readers would have immediately understood such language in the Genesis creation myth to be a symbol of cosmic chaos. Chaos at a cosmic level. 
And it was over this watery abyss, which the Spirit of God hovered or brooded like a bird and began the work of creation. So out of chaos came formation. Over in Jeremiah, we find another kind of chaos. The opening verses tell us that these things happened during the reigns of the last four kings of Judah. So Jeremiah is about the chaos of endings. The chaos of endings. It's a book that deals with what the faith community thinks about when an old world is passing and a new world is not yet seen. So it makes sense that there's a lot of mourning and grief because that's the way humans tend to respond to endings, to death, and to relinquishment. There's also anger and hurt because that's how people often feel when something that felt solid and sure is now crumbling beneath them. One writer put it this way, because we live in a time when many have given up hope for the promises of an old, conventional, expected world, the book of Jeremiah has a message for us in their grief and loss. For many, our age is an age of relinquishment and dislocation. The false gods are losing their grip over our imagination. Our misplaced hopes are being exposed for their lies. Now, where do we turn? Or to ask it another way, how does formation happen amid the chaos of endings? Well, God sends the poets. God sends the poets, the ones who through words, through vivid metaphor and poetic simile make our deepest hopes, our worst fears, and our yearning faith heard. The work of formation often begins with fresh imagination. It starts when we see what's possible. And we often learn to see what's possible through a poetic lens. So in chapter 18, Jeremiah offers one such vision. It's a familiar text, verses 1 to 6. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. This is spiritual formation in real time. It's an image that reminds us God is always busy molding and forming and pushing and pulling his people into shape, just as a potter does with clay. God is actively forming the community of faith in often unseen, acknowledged, yet powerful and lasting ways. So Genesis, Jeremiah, and later in the Gospels, the gospel writers or the historians of the day speak into yet another chapter in the big story where there's chaos of many kinds going on, political, spiritual, emotional, interpersonal, intergenerational, international, to name a few. And to such a world in such a time, God sends God's own child, not to condemn the world, but to save it. Not to pour gas on our chaos, to light a match and disappear, but to become completely enmeshed with it, to enter it, to become embodied within it, to redeem it, to transform it. 
Jesus arrives as the prototype of a new humanity, a new community, as the announcer of a new kingdom, the bringer of newness itself. This is the story we've received. This is the story we find our place in. The story of a God who's always making and remaking, reshaping what's been marred, bringing newness and redemption and transformation. Over and over again, we could say it this way, God's response to chaotic times is formation. So, dear ones, some questions to hold together. In the chaos of our present, who are we becoming? As individuals, as families, as communities, as municipalities, as nations, do we believe that God cares deeply about our formation? He's not merely interested in it, but 100% committed to it. And if that's true, can we trust that God is the one who's ultimately responsible for our formation? So Jesus said, remember, you didn't choose me. I chose you to go bear fruit. So how might God be wanting to form us right now? So this is a rather long intro, but this whole sermon's kind of an intro. So I share all this because we're starting a new series this morning based on a book by Rich Villadas called The Deeply Formed Life. So I want to say this morning a little bit more about the book. It's a really precarious situation going on. Um, I want to say a bit more about the book itself. I want to say a bit more about Villadas, and then we'll come back to the book to offer just a short overview of where we're going in the next uh, about 10 weeks. So here's some of what's on the back cover of... This is, this is not part of the gig this morning. <laughs> Apologies. Um, Here's some of what's on the back cover of The Deeply Formed Life. We yearn for meaningful union with God during our chaotic times. What lies beneath the surface of our lives might be how we find it. If your faith has been discipled into superficiality, it will work against you. It will not be able to help you navigate the most complex issues of our world. Yet most believers live in the state of being a Christian without ever being deeply formed by Christ. Our pace is too frenetic to be in union with God, and we don't know how to quiet our hearts and minds to be present. Our emotions are unhealthy and compartmentalized. We are lost when faced with reconciling our Christian beliefs and the complexities of race, sexuality, and justice. We feel unable to love well or live differently from the rest of the world to live as people of the good news. So the Deeply Formed Life lays out a fresh vision for spiritual breakthrough following five key values. Contemplative rhythms for an exhausted life. Racial justice for a divided time. Interior examination for a world living on the surface. Sexual wholeness for a culture that splits bodies from souls. And missional presence for a distracted and disengaged people. So I'll pause here, and one of the things I really like about how the book's laid out is these five values are given. First of all, value one gets a chapter, some teaching around it, some understanding from it, some other voices brought in to talk about it, some scriptural grounding. And then there's a chapter on practices of contemplative rhythms. And then we go on to racial justice, some teaching, some framing, all of that, and then there's practices. And we're going to take those 10 weeks as well to see what we might 
uncover and if we can lean into God's formation of us as a community and as individuals by taking time to actually do some practices or at least to be coached in how to engage some practices in our sermon moment. So next week there will be some teaching around contemplative rhythms. The week after that we'll, tr- we'll do some together. Right? And we've done that before. We've done some of these things in the teaching moment before but I'm kind of excited about how uh, we're going to be heading through these next number of weeks. Continuing on with some of the text from the back of the book, summary, the deeply formed life is a roadmap to the richly rooted place we all yearn for, a place of communion with God, a place where we find our purpose. Sounds all right, doesn't it? I want to introduce you to the author a little bit more fully and a bit about my kind of relationship to him. Uh, Rich Villades is a New Yorker of Puerto Rican descent. He was born and raised in Brooklyn. And he pastors a multiracial, urban, multi-class, immigrant, ethnically diverse, multi-generational church community in Queens. It's called New Life Fellowship. And he's also one of the key speakers for emotionally healthy discipleship. So a deeply formed life came out about a year ago. It's his first book. I've been following Villadas for several years now, and I've really appreciated his voice and teaching. They've shaped me profoundly. I think in my unofficial category of folks whose posts I share most frequently, Villadas is probably in my top three, maybe top five. But that's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, He's definitely got a gift for teaching and preaching and for writing. Uh, He's one of these people who can really say a lot, even in tweet length. He's got a, a knack for conveying spiritual theological truth both succinctly and poetically. That's a rare combination, I think, particularly in online spaces. Undergirding all of this is both a deep love for Jesus and a desire for the church to be healthy and whole and loving and liberating. So he encounters and reads and writes about Jesus as a person of color through the lens of a marginalized body. So I need these voices. We at Artisan need them. The church in North America which has been too often and for far too long co-opted by white supremacy, needs them. I've been intentionally building the non-white section of my library over the past 18 months or so. I feel like I've barely begun. But I'm enjoying the journey. I'm being convicted. I'm being humbled. I'm being inspired on the regular from seeing things I haven't seen in the text or in our world, mostly due to whiteness, my whiteness. So I've been seeing the fruit of sitting at the feet of Rich Villadas, as he is one who spent time sitting at the feet of Jesus. So I invite us all to that posture in that place. Back to the book itself. I think it's brilliant, but mine is just one perspective. Here's what a couple of other folks have had to say about it. Brenda Salter McNeil, who wrote Becoming Brave, Finding the Courage to Pursue Racial Justice Now, said this. Rich Villadas writes from the wellspring of a monastic spirit that has been woven into the fabric of his life for years. I know very few Christian leaders who embody the contemplative life in such a way that connects the complex social, cultural, and spiritual realities we face today. The deeply formed life invites us to journey with God toward personal wholeness and a new moral imagination that creates a better world of justice, peace, and reconciliation. I highly recommend it. It's this integration piece, connecting the inner life with outward action that I'm especially drawn to, something Dr. Brian Loritz speaks to as well. 
Dr. Lawrence said, my friend Rich Villadas has been marked deeply by the spiritual directors of church history. And yet this book is not only about a call to engage in ancient practices so that we can have a more fulfilling life. Rich calls us to both personal refreshment and missional engagement, the kind of engagement that challenges injustice. I believe the deeply formed life represents a new genre of spiritual direction, a kind modeled after Jesus who both went away to pray and engaged the marginalized. Yes, yes, yes. The way of Jesus invites us both to retreat and to re-engage for the good of our own souls and for the good of the world God so loved in which we are called to live as the embodiment of love, as the spirit lends energy and encouragement and empowerment. Scads of other beautiful endorsements. You can look those up on your own if you'd like. I just wanted to draw our attention to these two briefly. Now, another reason I'm excited about diving into this series with you all is that the values and practices articulated in the deeply formed life are already profoundly resonant in our culture as a community of faith. We looked at them already, but if you've been around Artisan for a while, you know that we articulate many of our values, our core values, using the language of directions, withward, upward, inward, and outward. And these are reflected, as Scott mentioned, in our neighborhood group rhythms as groups lean into these directions each time they gather. So with word, kind of a made up word, but it's basically the practice of being together both in celebration, any excuse to throw a party, but also in lament or times of challenge. It's showing up for each other regardless of what's happening. It's the practice of weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Upward is attending to our lives with God through scripture and prayer and study and other practices. Often, we try to link the upward direction with what we're walking through on Sundays, both in terms of our specific teaching series and the season we find ourselves in within the church calendar as a whole. So we'll do the same with this series. Villadas has written uh, a study guide that's available for free, and so we'll get that to our neighborhood groups and walk through it together. Inward is about moving past the surface of our lives, the, the carefully curated personas and profiles that we're often tempted to project on social media and in our lives as a whole. It's, it's the practice of knowing and being known, of helping one another live into our truest and most authentic selves in Christ. Outward is the practice of non-heroic acts of presence and service toward those around us. It's the direction that calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's investing time and energy to seek and work for the good of the city and all its citizens, whether they believe the same thing we do or not, since, as we're reminded elsewhere in Jeremiah, our welfare is completely bound up with Vancouver's welfare. So there's a lot of connection between our directions and the values highlighted in this book. I should also mention um, that about five years ago, we made the choice to see each of our pastoral roles through a formation lens. So Terry's title is Pastor of Children and Family Formation. Scott is our Pastor of Community Formation. My title is Pastor of Spiritual Formation. Though, to be clear, we see ourselves not as the ones who do all of the work of our community, or even as the ones who shoulder all responsibility to make formation happen at Artisan. Rather, we are the ones who seek to offer environments and opportunities and ways to connect, experiment, learn, grow, 
become, create, serve, and to love God and neighbor as well as we can. So put it another way, we try to set the table for deep formation into Christ. So all that said, in the spirit of setting the table, I want to offer just a bit more from the book's intro to help us gain a picture of where we're going. In the introduction, Villetus makes the claim that whether we know it, see it, understand it, or not, we are always at risk of being shallowly formed. He tells a story where he had to give a college presentation based on a book, and he didn't actually read the book. Any of us been there before? <laughs> In college? <laughs> just me? Okay, good. Um, instead, he read the dust cover and the chapter outline, and then he just tried to wing the presentation. And midway through, his professor kind of called him on it and said, you didn't, you didn't read the book, did you? He said, no, I, I didn't. Do you want me to stop? No, keep going. <laughs> it's like, okay. Now, in a similar way, we are often tempted to believe we can just kind of live off our gifts and talents without giving ourselves to the deep work of character formation. He goes on to say, we're formed by our false selves, our families of origin, the highly manipulated presentations on social media, and the value system of a world that determines worth based on accomplishments, possessions, efficiency, intellectual acumen, and gifts. So we need to be regularly called back to the essence of our lives in God. That essence is one of ongoing transformation. That is, Christ being formed in us. Villetus reflects on another story in scripture, how Paul's letter to the church in Galatia was written to a group of people who were marked by a preoccupation with religious changes. And these changes kept them from experiencing deep, for, deep formation in Christ. So early on in Galatians, Paul expresses his shock at what's going on. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the Galatians had drifted from the simple message of God's grace found in Christ, the good news that had indeed begun to change them. But a short while later, certain teachers began infiltrating the church, bringing with them a cosmetic gospel. The false teaching was this, that faith in Jesus wasn't enough. For example, if you were a man, you needed to be circumcised to be accepted, to observe specific holy days, to maintain customs of Jewish religious culture. So if you believe in Jesus and do these things, they said, you will be the covenant people of God. You will have proven yourself to be properly formed. To this, Paul said an unequivocal no. No. We are not transformed from the outside in, but from the inside out. Lasting, fruitful change comes through saying yes over and over again to the self-giving, poured out, redemptive love of Jesus. We receive it. We ingest it. We are formed by it. This was Paul's laser-sharp emphasis. In the same letter, he writes to his little children, saying, I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Sidebar, can we just appreciate how Paul uses a distinctively feminine metaphor here? 
to describe the level of anguish he's experiencing about this. And he says, again, it's not the first time. Villetta summarizes, Paul had one solitary focus, that Christ be formed in them. That Christ be formed in them. What use are the superficial changes we make if we neglect the deep work God wants to do inside us? Although Paul was writing to a church 2,000 years ago, this issue that they were facing is the very same in our day. Instead of being deeply formed, we settle for being shallowly shaped. So cosmetic gospel won't cut it. We can't afford to be shallowly shaped. We need deep formation. This, by the way, friends, is one of the many hard pills that's being surfaced by the story told through the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast. I know a lot of us are paying attention to it. Good reason for it. This, this <laughs> crashes right into what's going on in that story. Sobering. So, among the questions we want to be asking are these. How do we ensure we're not being discipled into shallowness? And to put it a little bit more on the positive side, what's the deep, holistic work God wants to do in us at this time, amid our chaos, right now? Are you with me? So, three things to remember as we embark on this journey. Jeremiah 18, 5 and 6, one more time. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. Whose hands? The Lord's hands. So we need to be reminded as we head into this series that formation is fundamentally a process that happens to us. First thing to remember is remember who the potter is. God's the potter. We're the clay, which means there's a long list of folks who aren't the potter. Your pastor of spiritual formation is not the potter. Nor is your pastor of community formation or children and family formation. Your therapist isn't the potter. Your spiritual director isn't the potter. Your spouse or partner ain't the potter. Your roommate isn't the potter. Your best friend in the world is not the potter. And you aren't the potter. The God who is love is the potter. God is always the primary initiating agent of change. Now, some of you know that one of the most formative practices in my life is spiritual direction. Uh, I've been receiving it for 20 years now and offering it for the past five. And I hope I never forget my first session as a directee. My first spiritual director's name was Steve Imbach lives in Abbotsford, and somewhere toward the middle of the session, I was sharing a little bit of my own spiritual journey. I also just sidebar, remember feeling very cool that I was receiving spiritual direction? Like, spirituality had a cool factor. Is, I don't know if that's weird or not, but it, for me, it was the circles I was swimming in. To quote Thomas Merton, I was a young prof at Columbia Bible College, and I would put quotes up on my door, and 18 to 25-year-olds would pass by my office, like, What? That is so amazing. Yeah, blowing minds left and right. It's not me. It's Merton, but it's on my office door. Um, so there was this coolness, and I just remember feeling, I'm doing this. This is really great. So great. So I'm in the middle of the session. I'm talking about my own spiritual journey. So I realize having a spiritual life is different than just quoting one. And I think I was talking about some of the ways I was struggling with prayer. And Steve 
pointed at a beautiful painting of a flower that was hanging in his little space. And he just invited me to take a good look at it. So I looked at it and he said, Nelson, what does a flower do? <laughs> and I was just, I knew, like, there had to be some sort of profound answer to this question. And I'm searching my mind, heart, soul, and body for any inkling of what that answer might be. Felt a bit put on the spot, true, but I was like, what is it? What does a flower do? I really tried my hardest to find it. And I think I said, um, it smells good? <laughs> he kind of smiled. He's like, yeah, it's true. Um, and he, he just said, it opens. It opens. And then he said, what if that's what prayer is? What if that's what the spiritual journey is? Opening to God. The second thing to remember is what your role is. It's to open. It's to open. And opening can look vastly different depending on the season you're in, what's going on in your life, and the life of the world. You might feel drawn to take on a specific practice or to let go of a harmful habit or a practice that's just not bringing life anymore. You might need help in determining what action to take. I sure do. That's one reason I have no, no intention of ever not receiving spiritual direction. But remember that those impulses are fundamentally a response to love's action in you. Your job is to open to it. Third thing, let's take a few seconds to look at this image. If you can't quite see it, there's a casket at the bottom and a tree growing out of it. Just take a few seconds to have a look. This is by Scott Erickson. third thing to remember is that newness is possible. Newness is possible. Even for you, even for me, even for us, even with all we're experiencing. But for that to take place, just like in Jeremiah, there needs to be an ending. For newness to happen, for resurrection to take place, the old thing, the old thought, the old habit, the old narrative needs to die. Richard Rohr said, the important word is not death, it's not resurrection, it's and. We're saved by the death and resurrection. It's saying yes to both of them. First, the death. Oh, shoot. And trusting even this will lead to resurrection. That's salvation. This is why, as we prepare friends to actually come to the table, we're going to do it in a less than perfect way. But as we do this, we remember both the death and resurrection of Jesus because that's how newness takes place. That's the pattern. That's how we're formed in cruciform love.